Jesus said, Ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. The good life. That's the topic of our preaching during these Sundays this fall. We've been looking at the gospel call, the Sermon on the Mount, and trying to gleam from it what constitutes the good life according to Jesus. I remember how Tony Bennett crooned about the good life. He sang, oh, that good life, full of fun, seems to be the ideal. (laughs) Only problem with that. With that is according to the lyrics, the good life turned out to be a bummer because his girlfriend jilted him, dumped him, because he wasn't much full of fun. Is the good life really defined by fun? What is this good life? Is it defined by success, prosperity, big bank accounts? Is that what Jesus had in mind when he said, ask and it will be given to you? Is this a text on prosperity? Does the Lord want to prosper you? The answer to that question is both yes and no. Let me ask that question in another way. Is Jesus encouraging us to put our trust in accumulating stuff? That seems to be the popular notion of a good life today. Is it true that he who dies with the most toys wins? It's just so easy to get caught up in materialism because it's what drives our economy. Without consumers spending, 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 the economy is headed for the tank. And during this recent government shutdown, news commentators were constantly warning that when we do anything to scare the consumer, they are labeled liable to react by closing their wallets. And now that Christmas is quickly approaching, the pundits are predicting that this could be the worst Christmas ever. Does Christmas really have anything to do with cash registers ringing? Like I said, the answer to that question, does Jesus want to prosper you? It's both yes and no. Yes, Jesus wants us to have our daily bread. No, Jesus does not want our daily bread to be the very center of our existence. In today's gospel, Jesus teaches us about a heavenly father who knows how to give appropriate gifts. This father does not give a stone when we need bread, nor Does this father give a snake when we need fish? Jesus tells us that the Father in heaven knows how to give us good things. And what are some of those good things that lead to this good life? Let me give you three of them quickly here. First, 
God wants us to know of the divine presence in our life. Secondly, to know that divine presence as a heavenly father. And if we can know that divine presence as a heavenly father, the third one will come, and that's to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. In a word, God is trying to transform us through the power of grace. Isn't this the essential ingredient to good parenting? That we love our children? Don't we try to transform our children by loving them? The greatest gift God could give us was his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus has the power of transformation. He is grace personified. So the real question is this. How do we tap into this well of grace so that we might experience the good life as reckoned by our Lord? Now to answer that question, I want to tell you of a conversation I had with Pastor Steve when we were talking about the possibility of me joining the pastoral staff here at First Lutheran. I told Pastor Steve that I would like to see a copy of the church's mission statement. And this is what I read on the very first line. The mission, the mission of First Lutheran is to be and to make disciples of Jesus who are growing spiritually, practicing community, and serving selfishly. I thought to myself when I read that, <laughs> I want to be a part of that. That is right on. Any church that understands that the number one task of ministry is to make a disciple of Jesus and knows where it's going. The goal then is to move people in their spiritual lives to the point where they can love Jesus with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, as the song says. Living for Jesus, a life that is true. Striving to please him in all that we do. I want you to understand something. The real culprit in living for Jesus is not the devil and his empty promises. We know that a good parent does not give their child a stone in the place of bread or a snake in the place of fish. No, the real stumbling block is always something good, masquerading as something it is not. In this case, the stumbling block can be the church. The church can be a source of good, or the church can be a source of nothing but distraction, obscuring the vision of the real thing. And what is the real thing? The real thing is a passion for Jesus Christ. And I'm in good company when I tell you that the church can be a stumbling block. I didn't, I didn't make that up. I got it from Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said, Christianity without discipleship 
is always Christianity without Christ. Bonhoeffer was a German Lutheran pastor who lived during the Second Reich of Adolf Hitler. He could have sat out the war. His friends secured him a position as a professor in the New York Seminary, but he needed to confront the evil that had engulfed his homeland under the tyranny of the Nazi regime. So he went home. He founded an organization named the Confessing Church, which planned, which planned the overthrow of the Nazi regime. He was caught, jailed, executed. You know, we don't canonize saints in the Lutheran Church, but if we did, Bonhoeffer would be right at the top of my list. Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. What does that mean? That means that our Christian faith needs to go hand in hand with following Jesus. They are irrevocably linked. You can't have one without the other. A passion for Christ is the only way a believer can sustain the effort to reach others. Anything else is cheap grace. That's what Bonhoeffer called it. Scriptures describes this passion for Christ as a burning heart. We witness this in a conversation between Jesus and two lukewarm believers on the road to Emmaus. One of the fellows' name was Cleopas. We don't know the name of the other. And the resurrected Lord kind of made his way up to them as they were walking along. And, and this is what he asked them. He said, what were you talking about? What were you talking about as you walked along? And they don't recognize Jesus, mm -mm, not in his resurrected form. And they can hardly believe their ears that he doesn't know what they were talking about. One of them named Cleopas, he said to Jesus, you must be a visitor to Jerusalem. If you lived there, you would know the things that have happened there in the last few days. What things? Jesus asks. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet. He was powerful in what he said and did in the eyes of God and of all the people. The chief priests and the rulers handed Jesus over to be sentenced to death, and they nailed him to a cross. But we had hoped that he would be the one who was going to set Israel free. Also, it is the third day since this happened, and some of our women amazed us too. Early this morning they went to the tomb, but they did not find his body. So they came and told us what they had seen. They saw angels who said, Jesus was alive. And some of our friends went to the tomb and they saw it was empty, just as the woman had said. They didn't see Jesus' body there. 
So Jesus accompanies them to their home, and he breaks bread with them. And as he broke bread, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. But then he disappeared from their sight, and they said to each other, he talked with us on the road. He opened the scriptures to us, and weren't our hearts burning inside during that time. That's what it's all about. It's about a heart burning for Jesus, going from lukewarm to on fire. I can't tell you how many times people have said to me, Pastor, I don't have to go to church on Sunday morning. That's right, they don't have to. God is not confined to church. But if you want to be a disciple of Christ, your heart will lead you to worship. Sunday morning will be the highlight of your week, looking forward to praising our Savior. You'll consider it one of the greatest privileges of your life to be with fellow believers and rejoice over what Jesus has done in your life and what he is doing for humanity. Here's how David Livingston, that great pioneer medical missionary and explorer in Africa, here's how he said it. I place no value in anything but my relationship with Jesus Christ. Now here's how I say it. I say it. I, I say that a burning heart for Jesus is not the thing. It's the only thing. Now let me give you five characteristics of a disciple. The first one is love. The reason Jesus asked Peter, you remember how Jesus asked Peter three times after he had resurrected and was trying to get Peter back on track? He asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? The reason he asked him that is because love is the greatest motivator of all. St. Paul said it. The three most important things to have are faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. It is the greatest because it is the greatest motivator. The second characteristic of a discipleship is trust. When we have Jesus in our heart, he will not fail us. When we are through on this earth, he has a place for us in heaven. The third characteristic of discipleship is service. Serving our brethren in the flesh is the same as serving Jesus. Anything Jesus said, anything you did for the least of my important of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. The fourth characteristic is the obedience. John 14, 15, if you love me, you obey what I command. And then again, John 14, 23, Jesus replied, 
anyone who loves me will obey my teachings, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make a home with him. And the fifth characteristic is faith. Nothing that a child of God does can be common. All we do, we do for the glory of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, children of the same heavenly Father. Only through unity in Christ will this world ever know peace. Now I have a few questions for you. Are you living for Jesus? A life that is faithful and true? Striving to please him in all that you do? You see, faith changes everything. It changes the way you view every moment of your day. Jesus brings the new way of living to a believer. He teaches us not to resist evil, but to find through him a goodness that effectively destroys evil. We need the power of our Lord in order to destroy the conflicting desires between good and evil that reside in us. Jesus says there is only one sure antidote for these conflicting desires, and that is to love God above everything else. Once we have put God first in our life, there is relief, if not outright release, from our most cherished sins. But as long as we keep any little corner of our heart just for ourselves, there will always be conflicting desires that result in moral dilemmas. Jesus has the transforming power. In fact, Jesus is transformation. If this world is ever to be transformed, it will be Jesus who does it. Pray for his grace to flow into your heart and the hearts of your loved ones. He is the Prince of Peace, the Creator and the Redeemer of all humankind. Jesus, by the power of his personal love, breaks the hold of sin and evil. He thereby sets us free to choose a better way of living. The beauty of divine love, once fully emitted to the human heart, destroys forever the charm of sin and the power of evil. If anyone can testify to this power of a passionate love for Jesus, it's Corey Ten Boom. She was one of the few survivors of World War II Nazi Holocaust. She survived three years in that notorious concentration camp in Germany known as Ravenbrock. She was released on a fluke, a clerical error. But I know that the angels of God had something to do with that. And here's how she summarizes the source of her strength for survival during those three years. Heaven, in the midst of hell, 
Light in the midst of darkness. What a security. That's Jesus' promise. I will not leave you desolate. Jesus lived in Corey's heart the whole time she was imprisoned. Jesus saw her through. We've been calling it the good life. Jesus called it the kingdom of God. I call it heaven on earth. I've been kind of tiptoeing around the heart of the matter, so now I'm going to get to it. This is what I want you to remember as you go home today. I want you to understand that you don't need to die to go to heaven. All you need to do is open your heart to Jesus and he will come in, make his home in your heart and make more of you than you could ever possibly hope to make of yourself. He will sanctify you, redeem you, and make you his own, his very own disciple. So live for Jesus because he lives for you. Let's sing that beautiful hymn.